be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. My voice is just recovering from Thursday, my son's football game. I'm not sick. Well, in the head I am, but I was yelling. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I know uh, that, that your bulletin says we're in 1 John, and the reason why is because Pastor Brett said, um, you know, I was thinking we should start First and Second Peter uh, in two weeks, um, you know, after we do um, uh, Mark's ordination and the other things, and we can start fresh and get the new graphic up and ready uh, for First and Second Peter, and we'll have time to do a new graphic and uh, so can you do two more messages out of 1 John? And I said, uh, sure, with absolutely zero intention of doing any more messages out of 1 John. <laughs> so, but I, I do want to share with you, it's a communion message, one that uh, just is a blessing to my heart, and I pray it is to yours as well. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And would you please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord? We're going to pick up at verse 20, verse 20. And the passage reads, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And I, I did a deep study, a, an intense word study on that word all and it does mean all. So that's cool. Father, thank you for your word and bless this time, we pray. I pray encouragement. Lord, I think about how many people are afraid of death. But even conversely, Lord, how many people don't even give it a thought? And yet, it awaits us all. And Lord, any religion, any God that's worth following needs to give us an explanation of how it got here, and how we overcome it. And if they don't have an answer, then I'm not listening. But Lord, you do. And so I pray today that you would open the eyes of all who are present, that Lord, they would embrace the antidote, the remedy, the cure to the death that flows through their veins, that they would know life, and they would be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, please. When I when I do when I do weddings, I, I enjoy doing weddings. But I've told you this before. But when I do weddings, it doesn't seem like anybody listens to me when I'm preaching a wedding. Uh, the, the the congregation doesn't seem to be listening to me. They're looking at the bride's dress, or they're looking at the bridesmaids, or they're you know they're looking at the groomsmen or the the you know the the groom. Um, the bride and groom, they certainly aren't listening to me. They're like, <laughs> and I'm watching in front of me going, get a room, you know, and they're just, it's awful. And you just, you, you're there and you just, you're not. Uh, and they're just waiting for you to say, you may now kiss your bride and they're finished with you and they don't ever want to see you again. And uh, that's not true, but it, it, then seldom, seldom do people really listen to you at a wedding. And I love weddings. I love to officiate them. I love to be a part of them. But I do find that in contrast, at a funeral, um, 
Everybody listens. A wedding and a funeral, people who wouldn't darken the doors of a church come out of respect for the people that they love. So an atheist, an agnostic, a, a person of another faith, they'll come into the church, they'll sit down to acknowledge and honor the wedding that's taking place, but they don't listen to the message for the most part. At a funeral, people will come. They don't darken the doors of a church in their lifetime. It's not something that they do on a regular basis, but they'll come in recognition of the one who's passed uh, to pay their respects, and they'll sit through the message. And as you're teaching this message uh, and you're, you're talking about it, it's amazing to me at a funeral how many people are, are totally listening. They all are. And my favorite is the, the man or the woman that pretends like they aren't and they're trying to act all cool. And those are the ones that are my favorite. They're just, they're, at, they're checking out, I don't, I don't need this. I don't. And towards the end of it, they're like, and here's why. Seldom in the course of our day do we ever come face to face with our mortality. We, we, we're not getting out of this world alive. They say there's two sure things in life, death and taxes. Well, I, you can avoid taxes. You'll spend time in prison, but you can avoid taxes, right? And we spend most of our life with accountants trying to avoid taxes. Death, you're not going to, mm, that is a guarantee. Uh, all are going to die. We have it in common. And oh, how we hate to talk about it. We, we tend to just avoid it at all costs. Uh, as a sheriff's chaplain, oftentimes when somebody will 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 die um they'll they'll call the coroner or they'll call the funeral home and the sheriff himself doesn't necessarily want to deal with it i mean they do a good job but they, they do this day in and day out and so they're thankful to be able to handle or excuse me hand off this portion of it to a, a chaplain and so you'll sit with a person who's lost a loved one and and you'll walk them through the process you're, you're saying you know now um the 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 mortuary is going to come. They're going to take your loved one. They'll, and you kind of walk them through the process. And oftentimes they're going to want to give them one last kiss or they're going to want to see them before. However it is, you're there to walk them through this process because uh, we whisper. Somebody dies and we whisper as though we're somehow offending uh, the person who's died. They're not listening. But it, and, and typically when the mortuary folks show up, uh, they'll come in uh, and, oh, yes, I'm so sorry for your loss. And, and uh, we, with, with their, we'll take the, and they're talking so soft and so just so respectful. And I, I get it. I get it. But to me, it's kind of putting on a show. And I, I, I hear them often say, I'm sorry for your loss, right? Right? Have you heard that? Yeah. We've said it, haven't we? Somebody says, my, my mom died or my dad. I'm sorry for your loss. Well, that's not really the right thing to say. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is. Now, I don't know if that would work when you go, I'm so happy for your gain. <laughs> That'll go off like a lead balloon, right? I'm so happy for your gain. You see, it's, it's a different perspective on life and death. There's two deaths. There's the physical death and there's a spiritual death. Jesus said, don't be afraid of the first. Don't be afraid of the first. Be afraid of the second. The second death is separation from God for all eternity. The first is your body ceases to function. It's temporal. It breaks down. 
And, and like with Sid Johnson, when, when, when he, breathed, he breathed his last breath on this earth, he exhaled. And then he inhaled his first breath in heaven. And that's how it is for a Christian. We fall asleep and awaken in the image of Christ, in the presence of Christ. And it is, it is an e-ticket ride like you can't imagine. And we don't need to be afraid of the grave. Oh, death, where's thy sting? It's a gain. It's like somebody coming up to you and, and pointing a gun at your head and saying, renounce Christ or die. And you look at him, you say, really? You're threatening me with heaven? Right? But, but we don't see it that way. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of death because we put too much stock in this life, on this earth. Our perspective is screwed up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you something that deeply affected me this week. Deeply affected me. And I'm not sharing this to toot the horn of my daughter, but I, 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 had anyone else said it, I would have I shared it equally. But she convicted me and shook me powerfully. As you know, my daughter Molly got married August 3rd. And I'm always joking with her and Micah, where's, where's my grandchild? Let's get, come on, why are you here? Go do something, fix this. I want a grandchild. I'm, I'm not kidding. Are they here? The Bible commands us to be fruitful and to multiply. And, and my daughter Molly is just precious, and, and she's got a sensitivity to things of the Lord, and I, I love her for that. And Micah, too, just a great couple. I'm so blessed to have him as a son in law. And we went to um, a get-to-know-you thing at Cronies for the incoming freshmen and the football team and, and the parents, and they were all gathering there. But we had had a dinner scheduled next door at, at Gino's, and then this thing was going on at Cronies. So Molly and Micah took my son Daniel to the event, and then we would stop over and say hello and then go back to the, to the thing we were with with the couple we were with. And I'm over there, and what's amazing um, is, and, and Lou, not coming down on you, because I just want to say, Lou Lichtel is the principal of T.O. High School. This is one of the most amazing men I've ever had the privilege of knowing, and what he does at T.O. High School, I'm thankful for. You rock, so I'm going to clap for you. That being said, my son doesn't go to T.O. High School. Now, you wanted him to go, and I wanted him to go, but like I told you, God wanted us to minister here because this is where the witness needs to be the greatest. Yeah, amen. So, um, Ethel Wong, who's the principal at, at, at Newberry Park High School, uh, they have all of the special needs kids come to the school, and they're integrated with everybody, and they, they work together. And I'm blessed by that, and, and I like it because it challenges the kids and shows the value of life. And here we were, the very first gathering at Cronies, and Molly is helping with Michael, and so is Micah helping, excuse me, Daniel, and Micah's helping with Daniel. This one student, he's a freshman, his name, I think it was Aiden, piercing blue eyes, uh, but he had Down syndrome. And Aiden comes up, and, and Molly says, hi, I'm Molly. And he goes, I'm Aiden. And he's got a just smile that just fills the place, and his piercing blue eyes, and there's just joy. And, and Molly endeared to him and just, you know, and, and says, you know, Dad, he's so sweet. And she says, Dad, it seemed like some of the boys were taking his chair from him. And I, he, he gave it away, but it was bothering me a little bit the way they were. I said, sweetie, just pray for him. We're going to, you know, I'm praying that God just changes that whole environment. And that's one of the things, Pastor Brett and I, we want to saturate that campus with the presence of Christ. And, and, and so um, we started praying. 
And that was, that was at that event. And then Sunday night at prayer, um, we'd, that yesterday, or last week, remember Kurt Adams came up and talked about 40 Days for Life. He talked about how every Tuesday in our bean patch, the Conejo Valley, Conejo Unified School District, in this area we call home, every Tuesday in our home, every Tuesday in our neighborhood, every Tuesday a doctor um, destroys and kills some of our children of the next generation that are in the womb in our community. Every Tuesday at Planned Parenthood, he shows up and he performs abortions. Or she, I don't know which doctor. In addition, throughout the week, they prescribe medications that, uh, that, that cause the children to be born prematurely and they, they die. In our community, our bean patch, our home, this is where we live. I don't want that happening anymore here. 40 days for life, we're going to stand out in front and you know, we're going to peacefully pray. We're not going to hold up pictures of aborted feet. We're not going to do that. We're going to pray. But here's the one that gets me. Of children that are born with special needs or conceived with special needs, more than 90% of them are aborted. And my daughter, having sat through that and saw Aiden, she came up to me, and this is what floored me. And this is where we need a perspective change. My daughter came up to me and said, Dad, do you think, Dad, do you think God would count me worthy enough to have a Downs baby? That's the vision of heaven. We look at it as a burden. It's not a burden, it's a gift. You count it all joy. Why not in our culture? Why We do a buddy break every Friday to give some of the families with special needs kids a break. Why can't we do that every night of the week? Why can't we just look at this amazing gift God's given us and rejoice as a congregation that's pro-life? And when she said that, I realized how seldom, how seldom we see things through the eyes of God, even death. I'm sorry for your loss. Death isn't a loss, it's a gain for the Christian. It's a gain. It's one of those things that we live for. People say, are you, are you, are you going to be bummed when Molly moves out with Micah? <laughs> Oh, I've been working for that for 21 years. <laughs> I'm serious. I was thrilled. I was excited about their apartment and, 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 and the bubblitzes and the way that they opened up their house and, and set this place up for them. And I was thrilled for them. I, yeah, I miss seeing her, but this is what I've worked for. This is what I wanted all along. Are you going to be bummed when your son goes? No, 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 I'm not. It's not about me. It's, it's what we're doing to prepare for the next generation. It's go start your family. Get excited. And it's, it's one of those things that blesses us. And, and we've got to have a heavenly perspective. The world is looking to us for answers. Even when they're not looking to us for answers, they are. We have to be prepared in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. And, and I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 15, and this is what struck me. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And, and, and what he's saying is, 
For since by man came death, death, death. We don't even talk about it. We don't even want to speak of it. I, I, I think about how our, our greatest fear of it, and it's become one of the biggest rackets, and some of you are in the mortuary business, forgive me, uh, or we can have a talk and you can correct yourself. We, we have this... <laughs> Now, I will say, Robert Perez, Robert Perez, Perez Family Mortuary, I, he was over at Skyline. I trust him implicitly. I, I refer people to him. He gets it. It's not, you know, mafia-driven or whatever it is. But they, they, take, they take advantage of you. Sorry. They take advantage of you in these critical times because you're scared and your heart's broken. And they go, well, with the extra lining in the coffin, that'll be another. And then we can, you know, because the soundproofing, and we could have speakers put in too. And then <laughs> wouldn't you want your loved one to have the laminated top of the, this? listen, everybody, burn me, call it quits. I'm done. Amen? <laughs> now, wait, I will say this. Western culture is such, Western culture is such that you do bury the, you know, the Bible says being created in the image of God, and it's a witness and a testimony, and that's a Western culture idea, and a tombstone as well, so that you can, you know, you walk through a grave graveyard, you see the tombstones, and they testify of Christ. Some of them, you see, you know, a, a royal flush, and, you know, two cruise liners, and, you know, dice, and Vegas baby, and you're like, <laughs> hope you had a good time, because, uh but some, you, you see the scriptures that they've listed and how, how their lives were lived for the glory of God. And the, anyone who comes by, that's, that's a forever testimony. When we walked on the Freedom Walk in Boston and you went through some of these grave sites of our founding fathers of you know, 1700s, 1600s, long ago, and you see the testimony of Christ, they, they still resonate and speak from the grave. But when we, we come to a place where they try to take advantage of you, we're afraid of death. Everyone's afraid of death. Everyone's afraid of death. And, and here's the problem. You Google this and you go on the internet, you Google it and you say, where, does, why, where did death originate from? I mean, why is there death? And why does everybody die? And we all die. Why? Why can't we figure this one out? Why can't we stop it? I mean, we've, we've pretty much dismissed creation. We've dismissed anything pertaining to a creator or a designer. Why not redesign? Come on. Can't we beat it? Can't we beat death? Can't we figure it out? Yeah, think of the fortune you'd make. I mean, we can try to not look like we're dying. I am so happy. Uh, you know, it's hard to know because my face doesn't move anymore, but I am thrilled. Could you please wipe the drool off my chin? I would blink, but I can't. We do whatever we can to try to make like we're not dying, but we are. Ointments, tucks, whatever. Doesn't... you? It, you leave a good-looking corpse. But where, why death? Where did it come from? Now, death, interestingly enough, 
There's two deaths. Jesus said, don't be afraid of the first death, which is physical. He says, be afraid of the second death, which is separation from God for all eternity. But we do have in common, all of us have in common, that our body will cease to function. Uh, law of entropy, everything reduces to its least common denominator. Death has entered the world. We will die. And you're going to die of the last disease you had, by the way. How did we get to this place? You see, death is the disease. And it entered the bloodstream. And the beauty of Christianity is it gives an explanation for how death got here and how to be cured from it. And until you find another religion that can handle that and resolve it, I'm not interested in listening to anything you have to say. Christianity has nailed it. You see, Genesis 1 through 3 covers death. How it entered, how it entered, and what's going to happen to it. We even see the Proto-Evangelicum, the very first presentation of the gospel, the good news in the book of Genesis, that from Eve would come the, uh, uh, the man who would save man from his sins. Kind of cool. Sins. Why, why does he have to be saved from his sins? Oh, I'm glad you asked me that. See, it says, for since... By man came death. By man came death. See, the reason why death entered the world, Genesis chapters 1 through 3, God said to Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden. Freely eat. Have at it. Except for this one tree. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eating it, dying, you will surely die. Present progressive. You die, and then you continue to die. God created time so that we'd have an opportunity to repent. But here you have that picture. Dying, you will surely die. Present progressive. Don't eat of this tree. I'll give you a really good reason. You're going to die if you do. Anyone agree that's a good reason not to eat? And you can have anything else you want except for this one. And this, is a, this in a sense, was an exit sign uh, like that exit sign back there, God said, you can leave my presence anytime you want by eating of this. You, you can abandon my world and try to create your own. So man had an option. He had a choice. And here's the interesting thing. Eve ate of it first. People go, oh, it's Eve who caused sins, women. <laughs> I'll tell you what. And you know, I no, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> It was, it was, I still fault Adam because the scripture says that he was to tend to the garden. Tend means to guard, to keep, to protect. Husbands, the Bible says that you're the priest of the home. You're not a thermometer, you're a thermostat. You set the spiritual temperature of the home. You're to bathe your wife in the water of the word. You pray with your children. They learn their spiritual uh, instruction from you. Up until up until the the mid you know nineteen up until about nineteen fifty every home in America most teachers were male. The men taught in they they taught the students instruction from your father. That's not to say women can't teach; they're wonderful teachers. But the idea that the the father would have spiritual instruction, the Greek model of teaching was knowledge. The Hebrew model of teaching was character. The fathers impart the character. We, we show them what's right and wrong. We, we, we allow our sons to enter into this mystery of manhood, which means now that you have the ability to procreate, you are now going to be a provider. You need to understand how to take care of a family. You need to understand the value of honesty. 
And that's what, that's what we've been entrusted with. They're stewards, and we have to give an accounting to God for their lives. And so God said to Adam, you're overseeing this family. You take care of Eve. Well, Eve was all alone when the serpent came. And the serpent, most cunning of all the creatures, and however you want to describe it, but the interesting thing is, is the way that, that the serpent got Eve to fall is, he, is he, he, he caused her to question God's word. Did God really say? And I got news for you. If you can't take God at his word, you just can't take God. If you want to question the validity or, or, or the, the truth of Scripture, then you have nothing to stand on. That's why last week, you know, I know a lot of folks probably were upset that I went through the Alexandrian Masoretic text and I talked about the difference. If we're going to question God's word and, and come up, let's get to a place either it's true or it isn't true. And it's in, in its entirety, in the power of it. And he spoke the heavens into existence and he is the word. Jesus Christ is the word. And, and so if Satan can get us to question God and question his word, then we are, we're, we're, we're open to be devoured. And so Eve struggled. And, and we know how Satan works. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. He appealed to her in all three of those levels. You can study that in Genesis 1 through 3. So she takes of the apple, she eats of it. And now Adam is left with a quandary. Adam can now look at Eve and say, okay, sin has now entered your life. Sin has entered your life, and you're, you're, you're dead, and you're continuing to die. Now it's going to take maybe 900 years because the gene pool is a little stronger then. Seriously, they lived a long time, but more that sin entered, the, the less time we live. Now we're, I think, maybe 120 years at best. And he said, he could have looked at her and said, I, I, I hurt for you, but I'm not taking that apple, and I'm going to miss you. And the Bible says, any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, no relationship on the earth should take precedent over my relationship with you. Not your relationship to your spouse or your, your parents or your children. And what Adam said is, I, I, my relationship with Eve is more important than my relationship with you, God. Now give me that apple woman. Let's do it together. And so they now entered. So what happened? Now the gene pool and the procreation, all children are now infected by this disease called sin. And that's why Paul writes, by man came death. God didn't do it. The Bible says that when our will is united with that temptation, it conceives sin, and when sin is fully formed, it produces death. And, and what, is, what is our will? Our will, and what is a temptation? Anything outside the commands of God, and our will is, is creatures of free moral being, and, and we, we unite there. We conceive sin. Sin fully formed produces death, disobedience to God. The wages of sin is death. Can't blame God for the death. We're guilty of it. We brought sin into the world. Well, I don't know why God would send, a uh, loving God would send people to hell. He doesn't. We go there on our own volition. He even says, and he, he clearly points out in Matthew chapter 25, he did not create hell for you and me. He created it for Satan and his demons. And for us to go to hell, we have to look at God and say, I don't want your remedy. Listen, Let's say that everyone in the room had cancer and I came and I said, great news. I got the cure to cancer. It's found in this bread and in this cup and you take it and you'll live. Now you still got to take it. 
You can reject it. But nobody's, it's not my fault that you died. That's your fault. The remedy's right here. You rejected it. It was offered. You rejected it. And you can say, well, you know, I, I, I didn't, I don't know, Adam and Eve, I didn't even have a choice in the matter. You know, you know I think about some of the hereditary diseases like cystic fibrosis or I can think of a, a myriad of diseases. My, my brother has a disease called hemochromatosis, which means he has iron-rich blood. He has to go to the doctor and have his blood drawn. It's called the bronzing disease. He always looks tan. And he has to have it taken out. It'll destroy his, his, his organs if he doesn't. And, and so he has to go to a phlebotomist and they draw the blood. And, he, and, and he's got varicose veins. And I, I understand those are hereditary. And I, I, I'm actually thankful because he always says, Mom had me first because she loved me best. And I said, yeah. And she also gave you <laughs> all the lousy genes. And um, so uh, <laughs> we have such a loving family. But we come to a place where, where death is entered by man. Death entered by man. We're responsible for it. We're the ones who disobeyed. We're the ones who brought death into the world because of our disobedience. It was never there to begin with. We brought it in. Then we saw with Cain and Abel, the very first murder that occurred. And we watch as this continues in the, in the life of man. So what, what Paul is saying, for since by man death came. Now it's here. It's here. So the origin of death is, is clearly portrayed by the scriptures themselves. God makes it clear. He says, this is the origin of death. This is the origin of death. But then he goes on to say, by man also, listen, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. The remedy. The cure. The antidote, the anti-venom. You've been bit and you're dying and here's the cure. Do you want it? Your pride keeps you from it. He says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. You see, the remedy to you dying is Jesus. And that's just too hard of a pill to swallow for some of you. And that's tragic. Because you're not getting out of here alive. Christ came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We're all dying. Oh, 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 oh. I'm not talking about your physical death. We're, we're going to do that. I'm talking about you exhale your last breath on this earth, and then you stand before God and give an accounting of your life. And unless you're in Christ, you are on your way to a second death, separation from God for all eternity. It is hell. You go, I don't believe in hell. Doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. Just, just has no bearing. Well, I don't. I, I fervently don't believe in hell. Still, doesn't matter. 
just doesn't, doesn't matter. Well, millions of people agree with me. Still doesn't matter. That is irrelevant. I've already told you, it's like saying, I don't believe in gravity. Gravity doesn't care. You can make up any kind of fanciful story you want. You can try to run ahead of the Grim Reaper. You can play any game you want. You can mock me and ridicule me and make every television show about Christians to be stupid. That's fine. But you don't win. There is death and you and I are going to face it. And apart from Christ, there's no getting out of it. Period. There's just no way around it. You have no remedy. Without Christ, you're lost. You're in a world of hurt. And yet, we tend to pretend it's not there. It's like whistling past the graveyard. (laughs) Hell awaits those who don't know the Lord. One of my favorites is when the Pharisees came to Christ and they, they wanted a sign. You know, the Jesus pill is a little too big to swallow. Can you give me a little water to wash it down with? Give me something that I can tangibly handle. Why does it have to be Jesus? Can't it be? Aren't there many ways to heaven? No. No, no there isn't. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say a way, he said the way. Every religion leads to God, but only one leads to heaven, Jesus. You'll stand before God, you'll give an accounting of your life. But you're only going to avoid the second death by faith in Christ. Even the scribes and the Pharisees answered, and they said, Teacher, we want want to see a sign from you. Can you give us a sign? Can you, can you do something? Can you, can you part the heavens? Can you, can you, can you turn that tree purple? Can, can, can you do a sign? What's amazing about this is it's, it's in Matthew 12. He's already fed thousands of people, not once, not twice, you know, (laughs) fed them. He's walked on water, turned the water into wine, raised the dead. The blind would see, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear. Thousands of people gathering from all over this area were coming in droves and watching documented healings, amazing miracles, leprosy. Never in the history of Israel, leprosy had been cured. Leprosy had been cured. They had more evidence about Christ than you could possibly imagine. And they go, give us a sign. (laughs) The only way I can can give you an, an understanding of this is by using an illustration of a woman. Honey, do you love me? I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You call her, you say I love you. You, you, you tell her all through the day you love her. You write her notes. You say, and then at night, you're getting ready for bed. You're exhausted. You're all tired. You've told her all day long. You've written her notes. You've, and, and she says, honey, do you love me? Really? Didn't we cover this? I thought that was a good one, but I guess it wasn't. You want a sign? And this is what Jesus says. He answered, he said to them, an evil and adulterous generation 
seeks after a sign. Adulterous means you worship anywhere but at the presence of God. You're saying, come on, give me something that I can sink my teeth into. I want, I want something tangible. I mean, have you ever been to a Bruce Springsteen concert? Amazing. That's a sign. That's amazing. People, candle, light, and, they, woo, and the music, and uh, that's one. And things like that. Can't you give me something intense like that? Come on, dance, do something. And the Lord says, you're an evil and adulterous generation. You seek after a sign and no sign's going to be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Here's the sign. I'm going to beat death. And then not only that, the tomb will be empty. No one will ever be able to disprove it. And you'll know it for the remainder of time until I return again. And no one will be able to disprove it. How's that for a sign? Well, that's good. But I was thinking more something a little more spectacular. (laughs) I, I don't know about you, but somebody who can conquer death, I'm interested in. Jesus turned to the man on the cross, to his right, and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. I mean, that's pretty significant that the Lord would declare to him that he would be with him in paradise. I, in, uh, in, in John chapter 11, Mary came where Jesus was and she saw him and she fell down at Jesus' feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. And she's weeping and Jesus, you know, was delayed and he came and Lazarus was dead and they said he stinketh and, and she just said, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. I mean, I know you have the power to, to heal people, but now he's dead. It's too late. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. He was troubled. And here's why he was troubled. He's just thinking to himself, you guys don't get it. I am the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. He wasn't groaning because Lazarus was dead. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He was weeping because people didn't understand that there's a way out of death. Don't you get it? He says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. And and this idea, when he said, where have you laid him? He said, Lazarus, come forth. And had he not said Lazarus' name, every dead person would have risen from the grave. But he, listen, he wept the same reason why he's burdened today. Because you're dying. And you're rejecting the remedy. Because the pill of Jesus is too tough for you to swallow. And you need to humble yourself. And just realize, God, have mercy on me. When Jesus said on the cross... 
seven last words. One in particular that he said, which was really cool, he said, it is finished. This is, this is the picture I have of it. It's like Jonas Salk in his laboratory putting together the vaccine to polio. Louis Pasteur dealing with what? Huh? Did anybody go to school? Public school, stop that. And here, here the remedy to these, these ailments that have plagued man. And could you imagine Jonas Salk in there? And he realizes no one will ever be crippled by this again. And when Jesus was on the cross, he said in the laboratory of that cross, as he mixed the elements together of the blood and the water and the, the piercing in his side and the crown of thorns on his head and the nails in his hands, the nail in his feet, the thrashing on his back, the spittle on his face, the mocking of the crowd as he took the elements of all of Golgotha, all of the Via Dolorosa, as he put them all together in the laboratory of the Savior. And he said, it is finished. The remedy. My body broken, my blood shed. The curative powers for sin that plagues man and death will no longer affect you. And thus he turned to the thief on his right. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And then he said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And gave up his spirit. I close with this thought. We began in 1 Corinthians 15. We looked at verses 20 and 22. And 22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. I, I close with verses 50 through 58, and hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. And then it says finally, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death and the strength of sin. I love that. It's been destroyed. God took care of it. The law. But thanks to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I close this morning by saying to you, 
Jesus Christ has overcome the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. In the laboratory of Golgotha, he came up with the remedy, his body broken, his blood shed for the remission of your sins and mine. He says this, he says, and this is the powerful picture, and I want to make sure you understand it. When Jesus said to them that this forgiveness is found in the Lord, he says this, they ask, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in the one in whom he has sent. The pill is Jesus. Swallow it. Quit being so prideful and realize the cure to death is Jesus Christ. There's no other Savior coming. He told you where death came from. He's now got a cure for it. And if you want to get out of this world alive, you got to come and take the pill, which is Jesus Christ. Otherwise, what are you banking on? No one will ever love you or care for you more than Christ. And that's why we prepare to take communion. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken, my blood shed for the remission of your sins. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. That's the only way you're getting out of here alive. It's the only way. And then you can say with joy, after you've come to the communion table, you can say with joy, ready? For me to live is Christ and to die is. I got news for you. Sid Johnson gained yesterday. I'm looking forward to being with him. And God secured it. And I've already got the antidote. I'm living it and I'm loving it. Come and enjoy it with me. Let's pray. Fathers, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. As we're preparing to take communion together as a body of believers. I know there's some in here who have never trusted in the name of, of the Savior. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Your word declares that if we believe in our heart and confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved to the glory of the Father. It's an act of faith. So Lord, instead of having folks raise their hand today to receive Christ or to come forward to acknowledge Christ as their Savior, today we are going to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Savior by coming forward and in faith receiving the bread and the cup, knowing that the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken the cup represents the blood of Christ that was shed for the remission of our sins that on Golgotha, the remedy and the antidote to death was, was cured when Jesus gave his life as a ransom for the many. If you've never received the Lord as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. And the way you're going to do that today is this table's open for you. You come forward in faith to receive Christ as your Savior. And your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. You won't die. You'll fall asleep and awaken in the image of Christ. Death will no longer have its hold or a sting. And so together we will take communion. Father, thank you. And Lord Jesus, thank you. And Holy Spirit, thank you. Bless this time now, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the ushers will